0: Welcome to With You Every Step, the solo travel podcast that explores, explains and hopefully inspires you to travel the world by yourself. I'm your host, Michelle Lee. True crime seems to be the hottest thing going around at the moment. Dark tourism has been around for a long time. For those that don't know, Dark tourism is defined as tourist destinations that are historically related to death or tragedy. As you've heard me say previously, I love dark tourism and history. Every trip I go on, there is normally at least one dark tourism tour I do. Some of these places could include jails, asylums, or tours about a certain criminal. Today I talked to Bruce Johnson about Ned Kelly. Ned Kelly is one of Australia's most notorious criminals. Hold on a second, just stop. I have something exciting to tell you. We have our first competition. Thanks to the National Trust of Victoria and the Old Melbourne Jail, we have some amazing Ned Kelly merchandise to give away. It's easy to enter. All you need to do is like our Facebook page, at With You Every Step. You also have to like the Old Melbourne Jail page as well. Then, comment on our Facebook page with your favorite quote from this episode and what destination mentioned in this episode you would want to visit and why. For extra entries, you can also follow the Instagram pages for both as well. If you do that, make sure you add your Instagram handle to your comment on Facebook so we know how to find you. The winner will be notified at the end of September 2018. I would totally enter if I could. It's a very cool t-shirt. It's a cap, a stubby holder, a badge, and an awesome Ned Kelly helmet key ring. Thank you, Old Melbourne Gaol. Good luck everybody. Bruce, welcome to With You Every Step. Hello,
1: Michelle. How are you?
0: I'm very well. I'm really excited to have you on With You Every Step today because Ned Kelly is Australia's most notorious and a lot of our listeners are from all around the world so not everyone would know who Ned Kelly is and what makes him notorious and we also want to tell people how they can go and visit the trail of where Ned Kelly was and what they can do especially Australians that really have a passion and want to know more
1: oh that's easy to do yes
0: okay so can you firstly tell us a little bit about our famous bush ranger Ned Kelly
1: the story about Ned Kelly is very, very complex because there's a multitude of layers to do with the Ned Kelly story, and uh, Ned means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Uh, you, you have the middle of the road people that just like the story, and then you have the two extreme people that like to study history, and then you go out to the the real extreme uh, Ned type people that cover themselves in tattoos.
0: Mm, that's a very Australian thing. A lot of Aussies have a Ned Kelly tattoo, don't
1: they? Oh, they certainly do. There's a fellow up in Glenrowan who, who drops his decks in the main street to show off his tattoos. It's quite... I'm guessing it's, is it on his bottom? It's everywhere. Wow. <laughs> okay. What years are
0: we talking that Ned Kelly was born?
1: Well, you can trace back to a rough date to when he was born, somewhere between June of 1854 through to June 1855. Thanks to uh, Mr. Brown's school records, we can trace it back to around about that time. Uh, generally accepted, round about December 1854. Okay. Probably born out of Beveridge or, or Wallen, out at his uh, father's place or his uh, grandfather's place. We don't know exactly when he was or where he was born because uh, that's just simply been lost to time and nobody did a really good interview with Mrs Kelly when she was alive about uh, Ned's birth date.
0: Mm, okay. And the the house in Beveridge is still there, isn't it?
1: Yes, it's it's remarkable. It's still standing after all this time. It was added to after they did sell it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the basic structure is still there today, which is absolutely amazing.
0: Yeah, so if people are wanting to do their own Ned Kelly tour, that, is that a good place to start?
1: Ah, uh, yes, it is. The story about Ned, if you're trying to trace it, you're basically is split by the Strathbogie Ranges. So you either have to go up the Hume Highway, up to Beechworth, and then come back down the other side to Mansfield, etc.
0: Okay, so for those that don't know, we're talking about Victoria, which is a state in Australia down the south part and these places that we're talking about are northern Victoria and they're very rural aren't they?
1: They are yes the northeast of Victoria is uh, quite rural very easy to get to cover a lot of distance a two-day trip will cover up to about 900 kilometers.
0: So do you think two days is what people would need if they're going to do their own Ned Kelly exploration?
1: Oh definitely two days you you can do parts but in one Yep. Like I say, the story is split basically across the Strathbogie Ranges, so you have to choose which side you're going to do. But definitely two days to cover the majority of the sites. Okay. So give us Ned's story. Ned's story. Um, he was born, around about December eighteen fifty four. At probably at a beverage where his uh, father's house was, and uh, spent some time there. Then they, the family sold up, moved up to Avonall. Unfortunately, uh, Ned's father passed away up there, and then Ned became the, the head of the family, and he was fiercely protective of his family uh, from then on. Then they moved up to Greta. and he had a lot more other siblings. Yes, yes, he ended up with uh, um, eleven brothers and sisters, uh, but. Also, while he was at Avonlea, he saved a young fellow called Richard Shelton from drowning in the creek up there. And for that, he received his green sash that he absolutely cherished for the rest of his life. He actually wore it at the siege at Glenrowan.
0: And how old was he when he did that?
1: He was about 12 at that time. So he was quite young. He was very young, yes. He was still going to school. Mm-hmm. Then they moved up to uh, Greta and eventually they moved out to the farm location out on 11 Mile Creek where uh, they stayed for quite some time.
0: Is that still around?
1: Only one chimney is left. They uh, moved there when it was just a hut and Ned built a proper house there. It did come uh, quite modified over time, uh, but it has now fallen into complete ruin. Mm-hmm. last chimney just fell down in, in, in recent times But at that particular location at Greta Ned got involved with a fellow called Harry Power mm-hmm. And uh, Harry introduced him to bush ranging And what is
0: bush ranging for those that don't know?
1: Bush ranging is where bad guys range in the bush <laughs> Fair enough we had three phases of bush ranging in Australia. We originally had the bolters. They were convicts who were brought to Australia and they bolted out into the bush. Then we had the wild colonial boys. They were people that were uh, born in Australia. And then we had the gangs, like the Cali gang. They were the bush rangers. When the, the gold rush hit Australia or hit Victoria as well, the bad people, bad guys decided that it was a lot easier to go and rob somebody than it was to dig a hole in the ground. Mm. So we had a big explosion of crime. And what year was that? 1851 for Victoria. Now that really started a an increase in, in bush ranging. But bush rangers not only stole directly from people, they also stole cattle and horses as well. So after Ned got involved with Harry Power, they had a big breakup. Harry went his way. He ended up getting arrested. Harry Power ended up spending 30 years in jail. Ned continued on with his family. Got himself into a little bit of trouble with the law. What
0: did he do? What was his first crime?
1: His very first crime was really being involved with Harry Power. Uh, Harry employed him to hold his horses while Harry did his robberies.
0: And was Ned arrested for that?
1: Ah, uh, yes. He, he was arrested indirectly. He was held on suspicion of being a bushranger with Harry Power. And he, he spent some time in jail, mainly up at Kyneton. Police interviewed him. And at that point in time, uh, Ned's uncle uh, lagged in Harry Power. And Harry Power always said it was Ned that lagged him in, but it was actual fact that it was Ned's uncle. Oh, interesting. He was caught up at at Power's Lookout, which is my favourite location in Cali country.
0: Okay, and that's named after Harry Power?
1: Yes, it is. Lovely location. Is
0: there a lot of areas up in northern Victoria that is named after the story that we're going to be talking about?
1: There are some locations like the the Cali Caves. Uh, There's also the Police Caves and the Woolshed Valley. Was it a crime to be a bush ranger? Oh, most certainly, yes. There were about 1,500 bush rangers spread across Victoria over time. Um, it certainly was an offence. Um, most people did small robberies only once and others turned into a, a lifetime career. Most serious bush rangers only had a short career because they were either hanged or put in the jail.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: A fellow called Wild Wright stole a horse. And he went to the Cali property and told Ned that he'd lost his horse. He actually lost his stolen horse, but he didn't tell him that it was stolen. Ned eventually found this horse, went into Wangarat, and was riding around with it. And when he came back to Greta, um, he was arrested by uh, Mr. Hall, the policeman there, who mm-hmm. pistol whipped him. Oh. Yes. And um, he was put in the jail for receiving a stolen horse, and Wild Wright was only given 18 months. Mmm. Okay. Because at that point in time, the instruction was for the police force to make life hard as possible for the Kellys as much as they possibly could.
0: So at that point, they already didn't like the Kelly family?
1: No, no, they did Unfortunately, when Ned's father's brothers came out, to Australia, they got themselves heavily involved with stealing cattle and horses etc and very early in the piece, they drew attention to themselves so the police were always looking to put them in jail.
0: So Ned came from a family of criminals?
1: His father's brothers were definitely criminals, they were heavily involved with stealing horses and cattle things like that. Not bush ranging so much but just stealing horses and cattle because that was easy to do because it was such a rural community up in the northeast of Victoria.
0: And was this happening? because people were so poor?
1: Oh, yes. A lot of the farmers were very poor in the early days and uh, they just simply had to do what they had to do to survive.
0: All right. So Ned then has been in jail for three years, did you say?
1: Yes, he, he was. And when he came out, found that his uh, mother was about to have a baby and just about to get married to a fellow called George King. Okay. And uh, after Ned came out of jail after that three years, he... Went on the Strait and Narrow.
0: What jail was he in for those three years?
1: He spent some time in Pentridge. He also spent some time down at the Hulks, uh, down at Williamstown. So you mentioned Hulks. What are Hulks? In the 1850s, when the uh, Melbourne jail became full, they needed somewhere to keep the overflow prisoners. So they bought five Hulks and moored them off Williamstown in Hobson's Bay, and they used four of them to house the prisoners, the overflow prisoners.
0: So they were boats?
1: They were. They they were old boats, and uh, they were called hulks, and they were just basically a, an unseaworthy ship that was being used to uh, house the overflow prisoners.
0: And so did they have
1: cells in them? Yes, they did. And as it turned out, when Harry Powell was eventually released, he ended up to be a tour guide on the success, which was one of the hulks.
0: Oh, interesting i did not know that
1: mm, yes all right
0: so he was over in the hulks and he was in pentridge prison which was in coburg in melbourne
1: that's correct yes
0: yeah and then he comes out after being three years in there and then what happens
1: oh he went back home up to Greta, and he went on the straight and narrow and he became a, a sawmill operator um he he was involved with making the sleepers for the uh, railway track that went up the Beechworth. And that was a very, very successful job for him. But then he got involved with stealing horses. He had this great racket. He would steal horses in Victoria, take them up to New South Wales and sell them to the farmers up there.
0: Mm, they didn't know where they came from. They thought they were his. Very clever.
1: Yes, that no, was a very, very clever uh, racket. And what they would do is they would go to a farmer's property uh, with one of his mates, typically Joe Byrne, and what they would do is they would go to a farmer and they would ask him to witness the sale of these horses. So they would end up with a legitimate a bill of sale with a farmer's signature on it, and that made a legitimate sale, which was uh, quite, uh, quite an interesting way of doing it. Mm. But because of this, the police were still continuing to look uh, very, very carefully at them, and his brother Dan uh, was accused of stealing a saddle and in April uh, 1878, uh, when Alexander Fitzpatrick, who was a local policeman up there, went out to the property at Greeter to arrest Dan, some sort of fight took place and Alexander Fitzpatrick claimed that Ned Kelly shot him in the wrist. Okay. But the Kelly family claimed that he actually hit his wrist uh, on the door lock. Two sides to every story, isn't there? Oh, there is. Fitzpatrick went back to Benalla, told his officer in charge that Ned Kelly had shot him and came back the next day to arrest Ned and Dan. But they had fled out into the bush. And they ended up at a place called Stringybark Creek. Mm, famous Stringybark Creek. It is. And uh, the police uh, just by chance happened to be in the area. One of the police officers there were looking for an easy meal. So they were shooting at some parrots. And uh, Ned and his brother... His friends heard this shot, so they went to investigate. And they discovered the police were camped there at bar Creek, and there were, were two police officers in camp who they bailed up. McIntyre put his hands up. and the policeman decided to fight back, and he was shot and killed. So then they laid in wait for the other two police officers. When they came back to camp, they were also bailed up and... One of them was shot and killed on the spot, but Kennedy, he ran off into the bush, Ned chased after him, and uh, Kennedy ended up being shot there as well. So that was the, a real big turning point for the gang.
0: Was there already a reward out for the Kelly gang?
1: Uh, not up, up until then, but after this uh, shootout at Stringing Bark Creek, there was about uh, 2,000 pounds.
0: And how much would that be today?
1: Uh, 2,000 pounds, it'd be about a million dollars today.
0: Wow. So back in those days, that was huge, right?
1: It was. It was. And it was never claimed. And that was one of the interesting things. Also, when the reward eventually ended up to be 8,000 pounds, which is about $2 million or so, nobody ever claimed it. Wow.
0: And so there was a lot of people that knew where they were at this point, where they were on the run because of this event at Stringybark Creek, and no one dobbed them in to get that money. Wow.
1: No, nobody dobbed them in, which is truly remarkable. Ned had some real good friends, he really did.
0: Mm, Because he was known to be quite charismatic, wasn't he?
1: He was, he was. He was a gentleman, and that particular quality he learnt from Harry Power. He had lots and lots of friends. It went in his favour. And after the the shootout at Stringybark Creek, they went on the run for 18 months. And during that time, they did two rather well-planned-out bank robberies.
0: Okay. So the three police officers, do you know their names? I know you mentioned two of them. I'm not sure. Maybe you mentioned all three.
1: There was McIntyre, Kennedy, Scanlon. So they
0: were the three police officers that were murdered. And who was Ned with at that time?
1: Uh, He was there with... um, his brother Dan, Steve Hart and Joe Byrne.
0: And that's who became known as the Kelly gang.
1: That's right there was the four of them and there was also Tom Lloyd as well Ned's cousin. He was basically the fifth member of the gang but uh, he kept a very low profile and luckily he survived.
0: Okay so the four then the four members were on the run. When was the incident with Ellen Kelly?
1: The incident with Ellen Kelly when she was arrested and put in jail for three years. Yeah, was that before that or after that? 15th of April, 1878. That was when Constable Fitzpatrick went out to the property and tried to arrest Dan. The police came back the next day to arrest Dan and and Ned and also Mrs Kelly because what actually happened during this Supposed fight at Kelly property. Mrs. Kelly hit Fitzpatrick over the head with a coal shovel. She was charged with the attempted murder of a police officer.
0: Mm, but why did she do that?
1: Well, the story goes that while Fitzpatrick was out there to arrest Dan, he made a pass at Kate Kelly. Ned's sister. Ned's sister. During the course of this big argument, this big fight, Mrs. Kelly hit Fitzpatrick on the head with a coal shovel.
0: Protecting her daughter in her eyes.
1: That is correct, yes. Mm. And for her trouble, she was arrested and put in a jail for three years and she spent her time at the old Melbourne Jail. Yes, quite remarkable.
0: Now, did that happen before that siege at Sprint Stringybark Creek or was that
1: after? That did happen before, yes.
0: Okay, so that that's when the Cali the gang then were out in the bush and out on the run.
1: They were, yes. Okay.
0: They've had this incident happen at home. Their mum's been put in jail they're out in the bush. They've had another incident where three police officers have been killed and they're still on the run hiding from the police.
1: That is correct, yes. And the, the only real people that the Kelly gang feared while they were on the run were the Aboriginal trackers from Queensland. Mm, okay. They were extremely good at, at tracking people in the bush. But due to the ag- arrogance of the Victorian police, they basically refused to use them properly. If they had have used them properly to begin with. They would have caught the Cali gang very, very quickly. But because of their arrogance they they were on the run for a good 18 months.
0: What do you mean by their arrogance? What didn't they do that was right?
1: The Victorian police didn't want the Queensland police to find them because it would make the Victorian police look bad. eh?
0: Oh, of course. Okay,
1: yep. They'd be embarrassed that another police force was doing their job for them.
0: Mm, Okay. Did they get them involved at all or they didn't?
1: They did. They came very close to capturing them at one particular point. They were fairly heavily involved but they forced to keep a background role more than a, an active role in trying to capture them.
0: Okay, so they kind of had them as a token, really, not because they really wanted them to actually catch them.
1: No, no, that's exactly right. They were basically there as a token. If they had used them correctly, they would have found them very, very quickly.
0: Yeah, because they're very talented, aren't they?
1: Oh, they are. Yeah.
0: All right, so then what happened?
1: Well, they needed money, so they orchestrated a bank robbery at Euroa, which was very, very well planned and executed. And then they also did another bank robbery up at Gerildery up in New South Wales.
0: So they'd crossed the border and gone into another state.
1: That's correct, yes. The newspapers in New South Wales sort of brought it upon themselves too because they were bragging that none of their banks would ever get robbed up in New South Wales.
0: Oh, asking for it. They were asking
1: for it. (laughs) Ed and his gang went up to to Geraldry, held up the police station, locked the policemen in their cells, borrowed their uniforms, paraded around the town until the next morning when they raided the bank and robbed it.
0: So they paraded around the town in police uniforms?
1: Yes, they did.
0: And did people know they weren't the police? Because small towns, normally everyone knows each other, don't they?
1: Yes, they generally know everybody in a small town. But in this particular instance, they, they took one of the police officers with them and Ned was introduced as a, uh, a police officer who was there to help. And little did they know that he was really there to rob the bank. <laughs>
0: That's quite a funny story. I am starting to see why people really are drawn to Ned Kelly. It's quite interesting.
1: Uh, It certainly has a multitude of layers. and Look at the real story, a lot of interesting aspects to it. Just recently up in uh, Geraldry, the... uh police had a new police station built, and originally they refused to occupy the new police station because the gutters around the outside of the building looked like Ned Kelly's helmet. Oh. Uh, and it's quite a bizarre thing, and when you actually look at the guttering, it certainly does look like Ned Kelly's helmet, and like I say, the local police officers up there refused to actually occupy the station because of it. They, they thought it was a bad joke. It was real.
0: We'll get to that later for people that don't know what the helmet is that Ned Kelly created. Sure. We'll get to that later. so you'll understand what Bruce was talking about. All right, so they paraded around as police officers and then they went in and robbed the bank. Is that what they did?
1: They did. They robbed the bank.
0: They robbed the bank in the police uniforms?
1: Yes, they did, yes.
0: So the people in the bank thought they were the police to start with?
1: Yes, they did until they drew their revolvers, told them what they were there for.
0: Okay, now I have heard people refer to Ned Kelly as, as Robin Hood, stealing from the rich to give to the poor. Is that what he was robbing banks for?
1: The main reason he was robbing the banks was the gang needed money while they were running around trying to avoid the police. they, They needed money to buy things. He also supported a lot of his friends as well. As we mentioned before, a lot of the farmers were very poor and he gave a lot of the money that he did steal from the bank to his very poor farmer friends.
0: Okay, so he didn't actually just steal from the rich to give to the poor. He only really gave it to his family and friends that he knew
1: that's that's correct yes okay
0: yeah and, and it was to keep him going while he was on the run
1: that's right yes they, they needed money they had to buy food they had to buy ammunition so that they did need some money to support themselves
0: and so then in this bank robbery I'm pretty sure I've heard of something called the Gildy letter
1: ah yes that's a very very famous letter before the robbery a Ned and joe byrne penned a letter called the giroudry letter and he wanted mr gill who was the newspaper editor to print the newspaper however when ned went to the newspaper office to give him the letter he ran away And he gave it to his wife. Mr Gill eventually took it to the police and the government and they decided that they didn't want it printed at the time. But it's a very interesting letter It talks about a lot of the problems that Ned was having with the police and it made the the government look very bad. It's uh, currently on display at the uh, State Library so if people want to go and read it they can go and have a look at it at the State Library.
0: In Victoria yeah in the city it's a free building that you can go into there's an exhibition about Ned Kelly so a lot of the stuff that we're talking about today is documented there as well as they actually have the armor which we'll get onto that a little bit later so he's done this jewellery letter they didn't want to publish it So that must have been very disappointing for Ned. I'm assuming he was very annoyed with that.
1: He certainly would have been. He also wrote a letter to uh, Mr Cameron, who was a a government parliamentarian. Uh, That letter got uh, published, but he really wanted the Geraldry letter to uh, to be published because it did explain his his situation and the problems that he was having with the government and the police. What were
0: the things that he was saying that were the issues?
1: He was sick to death of being harassed by the police. Now, he did bring this on himself by being involved with a stealing cattle, stealing horses, things like that. There was a directive put out by the police here in Melbourne that all the police uh, had to do their best to make life very hard for the Kelly family because they knew that they were involved with all these cattle stealing and horse rustling and they basically wanted it stopped but he was was sick to death of being harassed about it and uh, he wanted to tell his story and his story was in the jewelry letter.
0: Mm, Okay, fair enough. I mean, like we said before, there's two sides to every story, isn't there? He's kind of saying, you guys are harassing me. And was in his eyes, was he saying that he wasn't doing anything wrong?
1: Uh, pretty much so. Um, they were trying to scratch a living. Unfortunately, some of his activities were illegal. Mm. At the same time, uh, if you're poor, you've really got to do what you can do to help your family survive. I suppose, and
0: that's what was happening. Like you mentioned, the gold rush happened. No one was really ready for the amount of people that came here. And then a lot of people ended up being quite poor and had the opposite I suppose there was a lot of people that ended up quite rich from it, but there was also a lot of people that became very poor from it.
1: Yes, there was. It was also very difficult to buy land as well. A lot of the, the larger squatters, they had the, the best and the majority of the land.
0: And a lot of those were from Scotland?
1: Yes, they were from Scotland. Mainly the immigration came from England, Scotland, America, mm. China during the gold rush.
0: Yeah, something we didn't mention earlier was Ned Kelly's background, he was Irish, wasn't he?
1: Well, he was actually born in Australia to Irish parents. Mm. Uh, his, his mother came from a, fee, a free family uh, while his uh, father was actually a convict. Uh, red Kelly, he, he was called Red because of his red hair, got involved with uh, Alan Kelly and they actually eloped and they ran off together and got married at church in Elizabeth Street. In the city that's still there? Yes, yes.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, so they eloped and uh, lived at, the, at her parents' its place for quite some time out at Okay.
0: So he's robbed the bank, he's done the jewellery letter, then what happens?
1: Okay. Well, after about 18 months, he was sick to death of being on the run and he decided to end it all. They had to hatch a plan. He wanted to destroy the police. And the plan that they hatched was that they would murder their friend Aaron Sherritt. That would make the police go to Beechworth. They knew that train that they would come up from Melbourne on would be the only train on a Sunday. So they did actually murder their friend Aaron Sherrett. went down to Glenrowan, captured the town of Glenrowan, pulled up the rails and waited for the special police train to arrive.
0: The rails, you mean, on the train track They were derailing the train?
1: Yes, the object was to derail the special train and either shoot all the survivors or take some of them hostage.
0: So they were planning to kill a lot of police officers?
1: Uh, Yes, yes, they were. Either kill them or take them as hostage to swap them for his mother. Oh,
0: so this was about trying to get his mother out of jail? Yes, it was, yes.
1: Okay. That all happened, but it sort of backfired because when they when they killed Aaron Sherritt down in the Woolshed Valley up at Beechworth, there was actually four police officers living in Sherritt's hut at the time and their plan was that the police officers would have immediately gone up to the police station in Beechworth and alerted the authorities uh, that Sherritt had been killed. They waited well and truly until the next day because they were scared to come out of Sherritt's hut and plans plan started falling apart. In the meantime, they had gone to Glen Rowan, captured the town pulled up the rails and waited for the special police train to arrive. Okay. But because the police took such a long time to arrive at Glen Rowan, they were just about to leave when they let one of the captives go and that was Mr Kernow, who was the local school teacher. So they let him go? They let him go, yes. And he took a lamp and his sister's red llama scarf down to the railway line. He stopped the train and told them the Kelly gang were hold up at the Glen Rowan Inn.
0: So the Glen Rowan Inn it was like the pub, wasn't it?
1: It was. It was owned by Mrs. Jones and that was the local watering hole up there. There was actually two hotels in Glen Rowan, uh, but Mrs. Jones is the one that they held all the captives in.
0: And I have heard stories that people weren't really kept in there like hostages. They were having they were dancing, singing, drinking. Was that happening?
1: Yes it was. Because it took such a long time for the police to get to Glen Rowan, they had to keep the captives amused. So they did let them drink. All for free, and they were doing some dancing, things like that to keep them amused.
0: Yes. <laughs> oh, it sounds like a bit of a party.
1: Oh, it was a party, yes. Yes, well, after Kurnow stopped train and told them the uh, gang were holed up at Glen Rowan Inn, the train slowly moved up to Glen Rowan. Police jumped out of the train.
0: What were they preparing? Ned Kay
1: came up with this brilliant idea to protect themselves from the police bullets when they derailed the train.
0: Okay, because he knew they were going to have a big fight. They're preparing for for it because they know the police are coming up
1: to get them. They knew that the police were heavily armed with uh, Martini Henry rifles, shotguns, pistols. So they needed protection from the bullets. So they came up with this brilliant idea of making their own armour. So they stole different ploughshares, other pieces of metal um, from the neighbourhood from the local farmers and they fashioned their own armour. They made four suits. The best made was uh, Joe Burns's armour uh, which was a, a tailor-made fit, bolted on sides. It was a truly a remarkable piece of our work. And they made three other suits: one for Ned, one for Dan Kelly, and one for Steve Hart. So when Colonel stopped the train, told them that the Kelly gang were at Glenrowan, they could hear the train slowly rolling into Glenrowan. So they put their suits of armor on.
0: Okay, and how heavy were these suits of armor? They're made out of plows.
1: Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so well, they're about six millimeters thick. Roughly. Uh Ned's weighs forty seven kilograms. Wow. So they were extremely heavy. they were only made to really to protect the gang members um from the police bullets after they drove the train. If any of the police shot back, well then they would be protected because From the gully where the train would have been derailed and fell into, when you're looking up at the railway track from down in the gully, all you basically see is a person's body from the the knees up. Mm. So all they needed was uh, armour to protect them from the knees up. So it just had the body armour, a leopard at the front and a helmet.
0: Yeah, okay. I will put some images on our Instagram page so you can see for those that are internationals and have no idea what the armour will look like. I'll put it on there. Also, I just did a bit of a conversion, and it's 103 pounds. So 47 kilos for the armour and 103 pounds is how much it weighed.
1: Very heavy. Not the sort of thing you want to be walking around in for a long, a long time.
0: No, no. But, I mean, this was the very first bulletproof armour, right?
1: Uh, it was. It, it was the first time it was ever used, and it was never used by Bush Rangers again. It's uh, a very unique part of the story.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's what's made him so famous. Do you think that's what's made him so famous?
1: Oh, it is. It is. It's the, uh, the siege at Rowan with the armour is a very iconic part of the story.
0: Mm, yeah, I remember even my brothers when we were young at school, everyone in woodwork, they made Ned Kelly armours and our mum still has them at home. Oh, so,
1: good.
0: yeah, that it, it's a part of our history and that armour is definitely a huge part of it.
1: Oh, it is. It is. Yeah, I first heard about the story back in about nineteen sixty when I was going to kindergarten, and the, the the story of Ned coming through the through the fog and the mist, firing his guns at the police, it, it sort of conjures up this, this image, mm. and uh, that's what really stays. with.
0: The police are coming. They've put their armour on. They're ready for a fight. And then what happens?
1: Well, the, the police ran up to very close to the, to the inn and they started firing their ammunition into the inn and the gang were, were firing back. So there were still hostages in there at this point. Yes, there was. they didn't uh, they didn't take too much notice of the hostages being in there. There were some sixty two hostages inside the Glen Rowan inn during the siege.
0: So the police just came in firing, knowing there were hostages in there or they weren't aware.
1: They were probably aware. Curnow probably did tell them, but they completely disregarded the fact there were civilian hostages in Anne Jones's Inn.
0: Wow, okay, I can't imagine that happening today.
1: No, there's a few occupational health and safety problems there, isn't
0: there? <laughs> there sure is. Oh, okay. All right. I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm pumped for this. Okay. So they're in this fight and it started and they got their armor on. And bullets are flying. Keep going. Keep going, Bruce.
1: Well, this is about three o'clock in the morning when all this happens.
0: Oh, wow.
1: It was in the middle of the night. Yes, it was. And uh, within the first few minutes, Superintendent Hare was shot in the wrist. Uh, Superintendent Hare was in charge of this operation. Because he was wounded, he had to withdraw. Also, within the first few minutes, uh, Ned Kelly himself was uh, quite badly injured. He was shot in the left arm with a 45 caliber uh, T-New Henry rifle bullet. And the bullet entered the front part of his forearm, came out the back part of his forearm, entered his top arm muscle, came out the back of the muscle. So that completely disabled his left arm. was also shot in the right foot. A a bullet entered his right foot, ran about just above the front toe, the front big toe, and burrowed all the way back through to his heel.
0: Oh, sounds
1: painful. Very, very painful. So he was bleeding quite profusely and the gang uh, emptied their firearms, retreated back into uh, Ann Jones' inn to reload. Meanwhile, the police is firing all their guns uh, into the inn and a lot of the hostages were reporting all these bullets whizzing through the very flimsy uh, wooden structure of the the inn. So the police surrounded the inn and while they were inside, unfortunately, uh, Joe Burns was uh, shot and killed. It was a lucky bullet. Just worked its way in between the armour and he was shot in the, in the femoral artery. Mm-hmm. And where is that in the leg? Yes, it's in the leg. It's a major artery in the leg. And unfortunately, he, uh, it basically killed him on the spot. So that only left three of the gang members left. And it was decided they were going to leave the inn and escape. Were all the
0: hostages still in there at this point?
1: Yes, they were. Yes.
0: Were any of them shot?
1: Uh, there were, yes. Mrs. Jones' daughter was injured. Uh, her her son was injured as well. Uh, the police had absolutely no regard uh, for the hostages that were in the inn. At a later point, they did allow some of them to come out. Um, but yes, they just really had no regard for the hostages. So Ned and his brother and friend, Steve Hart, they decided that they're going to escape from the inn. Ned left the inn But then he discovered that his brother and Steve were still back in the the inn. So this is when the the famous shootout at the siege really started. Ned went back in his armour at about quarter past seven in the morning and he took on the police.
0: Other two were still left in the inn at this point.
1: That's correct, yes.
0: And Ned was the only one that had escaped out the back.
1: That's correct, yes. Okay. So he's walking through the bush, through the fog and the mist, and he's firing his revolvers at the police, and they didn't know what this thing was. They thought it was some strange monster that was coming to uh, to attack them. Mm,
0: because they didn't know he had escaped through the back, did they?
1: No, they didn't, no. So he
0: could have actually got away with it.
1: He could have got away, but he decided to come back and rescue his brother and, and Steve Hart. And were they still alive at this point? They, they were because they actually fired some shots at Ned. They didn't want him captured, so they did actually fire a few shots at him and also at the police as well. So they were trying to kill Ned? They were. Yes, they attempted to kill him because they didn't want him captured by the police, which was a bizarre thing. But yeah, that's what they did.
0: Okay. And so Ned is firing. He's getting bullets all over him.
1: Yes, bullets ricocheting off the steel He was making a joke at the police That they couldn't kill him And eventually one of the police officers uh, Got really close with a shotgun Sergeant Steele And he shot him in the legs And brought him down So they all pounced on him A fellow called uh, Jesse Dossett uh, Took the revolver from his hand And Jesse kept that revolver And he passed it on to the National Trust And you can actually see that revolver On display today at the Old Melbourne Jail And that was in his hand uh, at the C You'll also notice there's a chip in the handle on that revolver, and that was caused by a police bullet. And when the police bullet actually hit him, it cut the tip of his little right finger off. So Ned had lots and lots of serious wounds when they captured him.
0: So he was still alive. They hadn't killed him.
1: No, they didn't kill him. The armour did its job. It protected him uh, from the police bullets, but he had many serious bullet wounds in his arms and legs. 28? Uh, at least 28 serious bullet wounds, yes. Mm
0: which is a lot, and that's just in the arms and the
1: legs. That's right, yes, and that's caused him to uh, to lose a lot of blood.
0: Mm. So they've got Ned. The other two are still in the inn with the hostages?
1: So there was only just uh, Dan Kelly and Steve Hart uh, left inside the inn by themselves. And then what did the police do? Well, the police continued to surround the hotel. They kept firing at about 12 o'clock. It all went very quiet inside the inn, and they thought that they had escaped, so they were very carefully monitoring the inn, and about four o'clock in the afternoon, one of the policemen, Mr Johnson, decided um, that it was time to end this, so he sneaked up very close to the inn and set fire to it, Mm. and the two boys still didn't come out, and while the inn was on fire, Father Gibney raced in and found two bodies inside the inn, and he he touched their cheeks, and they were very, very cold. So the theory was that they may have committed suicide because the bodies were so cold. Father Gibney couldn't drag the two bodies out. He brought out Joe Burns's body, but he left the other two in there, which were Dan and, and Steve Hart.
0: Mm-hmm. And there is a famous picture, isn't there?
1: Yes, there's a picture of Joe Byrne. They strung him up on the door of the police cells at Vanella and they took some photographs of him. Dead. He was most definitely dead, yes.
0: Mm, awful. <laughs> and they they were proud, weren't they? They were really proud of what they had done.
1: They were. Oh, yes, they were rejoicing that they finally destroyed the, the, the Kelly gang. But the police allowed the inn to burn to the ground and after it was all burnt, they went in, they found the two bodies that were just a charred mess and they would have been um, Dan Kelly and Steve Hart's bodies.
0: Mm. And the armour, did they collect those armours?
1: They did. They had Ned's full suit. They, In total, they ended up with a whole four sets of suits, yes. So then Ned Kelly's story continues. Oh, he does. He was taken down to Benalla, put in the lock up there, and then he was taken down to Melbourne and placed in the... Uh, male hospital Old Melbourne Jail, where he was nursed back to health, was charged with murder, and he was tried and convicted in the old Supreme Court, which used to be on the corner of Russell Street and Latrobe Street. And on Redmond Barry, the hanging judge, sentenced poor old Ned to die by hanging.
0: And he was also the same judge that had sentenced Alan Kelly, Ned's mother, to three years in jail, wasn't he?
1: That's right, Yes. So Ned endured another two weeks in the Melbourne jail and he was hanged on the 11th of November, 1880 at four minutes past 10 in the morning. On the gallows, that still exists today. So if anybody would like to look at the gallows where Ned was hanged, they can actually go to the old Melbourne jail and see the very gallows that was hanged on.
0: Mm, So that's where I would suggest you finish your Ned Kelly tour, where Ned Kelly's life finished.
1: Yes, yes. There's a little saying that I say to some people, Ned started it, police stopped it, and the old Melbourne jail finished it.
0: Uh, So Bruce, we've spoken about when Ned had his final breath and where he ended his life, but then what happened to his body after that?
1: His his body was handed over to the doctors because in the early days, it was very difficult for the doctors to uh, find suitable bodies to study medicine so the doctors had a really good go at his body and then his remains were buried in the, in the little workyard at the back of the old Melbourne jail and he was buried out there with uh, 46 other people. After the jail closed they were demolishing the back part of the jail and they found all these human remains. So they removed all the human remains, reburied them over at our other jail in Coburg, a place called Pentridge. Now, they were buried in big graves over there, mass graves in boxes and coffins. In 2008, 2009, there was an archaeological dig done out of Pentridge. They recovered all the human remains that they could find out there and they were passed down to the Victorian Institute of Forensic Medicine. And through DNA... A very good autopsy report. Uh, His bones were identified and offered back to the family.
0: Mm, So, what year were they given back to the family?
1: Uh, They were offered back to the family a few years ago, and they were also offered a state funeral as well. So, the state government paid actually for his funeral, and uh, he was buried up at Greta Cemetery, which is in the north eastern part of Victoria, uh, near Wangaratta. And uh, his mother is buried up there, and also his brother and Two of his sisters are buried there as well. Okay, so
0: people can add that into their Ned Kelly tour that they're doing to go to that cemetery. But there's still a mystery about Ned's bones. Isn't there something missing?
1: Ah, yes, there certainly is. When they did the autopsy on him, they cut a little small part of his skull out the back, uh, which was part of the remains that they discovered. However, the major part of his skull is still missing, and there were various stories about where that went and what happened to it, Uh, but it is still a mystery as to where that is today. Wasn't there a
0: lady a couple of years ago from New Zealand that said, I have Ned Kelly's skull. It's one of 16 in my collection.
1: Yes, she did. Who's the
0: 16 skulls in her collection? Don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I've always wondered that. Hmm. Interesting. But she doesn't have Ned's head, does she?
1: No. No. The the telltale sign is the small piece they removed from the back of the skull when they did the autopsy. If if the skull doesn't have that piece missing, it it's not Ned's skull.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Well, if anyone has it, I think they would like it
1: back. Oh, most definitely. Everyone's dying to uh to get it back.
0: And so you do a cemetery tour.
1: Yes, I do. I, I do a tour that we visit uh, five different cemeteries across Melbourne and we visit a large number of the people that were involved with the Ned Kelly story.
0: So you go to five different cemeteries and see people that are buried in those cemeteries that are related to the
1: Ned Kelly story. Yes, they took part uh, in it. There's a, a large number of policemen, newspaper reporters, uh, people like politicians, people like that.
0: So if my listeners want to do that tour, how can they do that?
1: Uh, well, unfortunately, uh, I have retired from doing those cemetery tours at the moment. It was just taking up a lot of my time and, uh, and I've actually retired from it, unfortunately.
0: Well, if anyone is interested, maybe you can email us and email address will be in the description below. And maybe we can put it forward to Bruce and maybe we can get him out of retirement if we get enough people, maybe.
1: Certainly a possibility. I'd be happy to do with that if there was a group of people interested from your podcast. Uh, we could uh, certainly organise a, a nice uh, walk around uh, some of the Melbourne cemeteries.
0: Oh, that'd be great. So make sure you do give us your feedback. Let us know if you want to do that. And
1: maybe we can get Bruce out of retirement for you. he 's I actually had a fella from Ireland come all the way to Australia just to do my cemetery tour.
0: Wow. Well, you are pretty amazing. So it doesn't shock me.
1: <laughs> uh, it's all good fun. In recent times, I've been helping a friend of mine, uh, Matt Shaw. He runs uh, Ned Kelly Tours and School Camps. He's also the curator of the Ned Kelly Vault Hub at Beechworth, where you can see numerous artefacts to do with the Ned Kelly story. But just after I retired 2004, I used to do uh, private tours, private two-day tours. Uh, but recently, I've been helping uh, Matt out with his uh, weekend tours. But if um, people are interested in doing a tour with Matt, just search on Ned Kelly Tours and SchoolCamps dot com, and that will come up with all the information.
0: Okay, I'll put a link to that in the description down below. So, if people are wanting to do it themselves and not wanting to pay for a tour, how can they do the driving tour themselves?
1: Yes, they can look up two websites. Uh, the first one is nedkellytrail.com dot com, and the other one is Ned Kelly Touring Route. If they search on that, it'll come up with maps. Uh, different locations through Kelly Country, and it will tell you what you can see at those various locations as well.
0: What are your suggestions for the must-see in the Kelly story?
1: Uh, Definitely the old Melbourne jail. Uh, Go to Glenrowan as well. Go to Beechworth. You can go to the old jail up there as well. Because he was kept in the Beechworth jail? He was. He spent some time. A lot of the sympathisers spent time in the the jail up there. Also Mrs. Kelly spent time in the jail up there.
0: Mm hmm you can go to Beechworth Jail. That's still there. They run tours, don't they?
1: They do. You can go through and, and have a look through uh, the Beechworth Jail, yes.
0: In Glenrowan, the inn is not around because they burnt it down, but there are certain parts?
1: You can actually still see the inn site. It's on the corner of Seed Street there. And there are some museums such as Kate's Cottage, a Gary Dean's Museum as well. You can go inside uh, those two museums and see quite a lot of artifacts in there.
0: Okay. And Stringybark Creek, can people go to Stringybark Creek where the first incident where the police were killed?
1: Yes, yes. You just go up through Mansfield, follow the road up to uh, up to Tommy and follow the, the dirt road down to Stringybark Creek. It's fairly well signposted and they're doing some uh, more alterations out there with more information panels in the near future.
0: I would totally suggest going to the State Library. Ned Kelly's Armour is kept there, as well as a death mask. And there is also a death mask at the Old Melbourne Jail of Ned Kelly too. Can you explain a little bit about death masks for people that might not know what they are?
1: Yes. With Ned's armour being on display at the State Library, that's um, free to see. There's also two other suits of armour that you can actually see as well. If you go to the Police Museum, they have Dan Kelly's and Steve Hart's armour on display.
0: So the old Melbourne jail has a fee to enter, but the state library is free and the police
1: museum is free to enter. That is correct, yes.
0: So people can go and have a look at some
1: things and doesn't, it's not going to cost them a fortune, which is great. Uh, as long as they can do a little bit of research, look up the Ned Kelly Trail and the Ned Kelly touring route, uh, they can see quite a lot for free by themselves. Now, with the death masks, death masks were actually made for four different reasons. And I'll explain to you, you in a second just how they used to make the death masks. But the first reason they made them was it's a three-dimensional object. It's much better than a two-dimensional flat photograph. So you can see exactly how the person looked after they were executed. Secondly, it proved that the government owned your body and you had been judiciously executed. Thirdly, they're also made for a pseudoscience called phonology. And what phonology was all about was they were trying to find out the reason why people turn into criminals. In the 1790s, a Dr. Gall he studied all his friends, relatives, murderers, insane people, and came up with this idea that there were 27 different sections of your brain that controlled your character. He said that the more active of these 27 different sections were, it would create a lump on your brain, and this lump was transferred to your skull. So the theory was all you had to do was measure the size of these lumps and the relative position of these lumps to, them, to each other, and you could map out your personal character and also your criminal character. And of course, it was all proved to be incorrect in the early 1930s. However, it didn't stop the professional phrenologists making lots and lots of money. Well, the, the three areas that they were mostly interested in was around the ear area, and they were designated combativeness, destructiveness, and equivativeness. And they were the three areas that they were mainly interested around the ear. It was totally... Um, Proved to be incorrect uh, due to medical advances. And fourthly, they were made because in the early days we had no entertainment as we did today, such as radio and TV. We only had the waxworks. For example, Maximilian Kretmeyer, when he made Ned Kelly's death mask, he had it on display at his waxworks the very next day. (laughs) And people were lining up to see it, weren't they? They were. They would pay their shilling to go in and have a look. Uh, He had an excellent display. I would have really liked to have seen that. So they made quite a few of Ned, didn't they? They did. According to the National Trust records, they made about 30 death masks from the original mould. I don't quite know how they figured that out, but that's what the records say. Really? The State Library's got a copy. Melbourne Jail has got a copy. There's one up at Beechworth, Burke Museum. There's quite a few of the original death masks around, yes.
0: About 30 they made?
1: Made about 30 from the original mould, yes.
0: Wow. And can you explain for people how they make them for those that don't know?
1: Yes. um, Men and women were treated differently. If you were a male, they would shave off your hair, whiskers and moustache and they would cover the head in oil and then they would make a mould, sometimes of plaster, sometimes of hot wax around the head. They oiled the skin so it wouldn't stick and they would remove the mould, filled the mould up full of plaster and that gave you a death mask. However, if you were a female, it wasn't seen to be the right thing to shave off your lovely long hair. So with the lady, they would just simply tie the hair back very tight, oil the head, make the mould, and then fill the mould up with a plaster from there.
0: And I have heard some of the other death masks at the Old Melbourne Jail actually have real hairs from the prisoners on there.
1: Yes, they do. If you look very carefully... Uh, You will see that some of the the facial hair, especially on the men, have transferred from the mould into the death mask, which is quite bizarre.
0: And they do have a lot of death masks at the Old Melbourne Jail that people can see. If you do go there, you'll be able to see quite a few from different people, not just Ned Kelly. A lot of other criminals' death masks are there as well, aren't they?
1: Yes, they are. They made about 45 in total. Some of them have been broken. Some of them have been lost. but There's around about 39 uh, in the collection of the Old Melbourne Jail. Not all of them are on display, as you mentioned.
0: Yeah, that's great. Okay, so there's a lot of things that people can go and see if you are wanting to do a little bit of dark tourism. The Old Melbourne Jail is definitely a great place to start if you've never been to a dark tourist destination before. It is very dark and gloomy and it is a great place to visit. It's got a lot of history. They can go to the State Library, the Police Museum. There's a lot of artefacts there. Glen Rowan has a lot of artefacts. And then they can do their own like Kelly Drive around Kelly Country, which is in North Victoria. So the hotspots would be Stringybark Creek. Where else would you suggest, Bruce?
1: Uh, Powers Lookout. Powers Lookout is my most favourite location. When you go to the car park there, there's a, a lookout just at the car park. Now, if you walk down the little dirt track, it'll take you uh, down some stairs and up some stairs, uh, and there's a fantastic look out there that looks up and down the King River Valley. Absolutely love it.
0: Okay, so it sounds like a beautiful scenic spot.
1: Oh, it is. Lovely view, lovely view.
0: Okay, and there's still a lot of descendants from the Kelly family around, isn't there? There
1: is. There's about 300 odd descendants running around, also the Sherritt family and the Hart family. If you go up into the northeast of Victoria, you do have to be a little bit careful on uh, what you say to people because you really never know who you're talking to.
0: hmm Yeah, that's good advice. You don't want to be saying anything bad if you're talking to a family member of each side. And I'm sure it's the same for families of the police that were murdered as well.
1: Oh, very much so. If you go up to Mansfield today, everybody's on the side of the police at Mansfield. If you go to Beechworth, for example, everybody's on the side of, of Ned and his family.
0: Hmm. Sounds like a really great driving tour for anyone that would like to do that. It's a, This is a little bit of a different podcast than what we normally do. But I thought it was interesting and I think a lot of people really are getting into dark tourism. So I think it is great and if people are passionate and want to go and find the path that the Kellys took, it's definitely worth driving. And then finishing up at the Old Melbourne Jail where he took his last breath as well as seeing all of the fabulous artefacts that are around at all the other museums. Thank you so much, Bruce, for sharing your knowledge with us today. You are brilliant and I'm so glad that I got to pick your brains today and share that with our listeners.
1: Oh, Thank you, Michelle. I, I hope that your listeners are uh, get something from our talk today.
0: I'm sure they will. Thanks for listening to With You Every Step, hosted by Michelle Lee. We do hope you enjoyed listening. And if you did, make sure you tell everybody. If you didn't, nobody likes a Debbie Downer. Please subscribe to get up to date with our latest releases and give us a thumbs up on our social media at With You Every Step we love to hear from you if you have any questions or inquiries please email us at michelle at or head to the contact us page at our website michellelee.com. that's also where you'll find all our blogs mentioned in the podcast we love to hear from you and if we have inspired you to travel thanks for listening love life and adventure on